first recording day. You need to. Um, we need to savor these last couple of recordings we get in this uh, in the studio. What is it? Two more? Because this is a short uh, month. <laughs> well, I got to talk about that because I think it's one more. Um, I'll be out of town unless we record on a different day. The last mm-hmm. week of this month. Me and Fargo. I saw that. I, wow, yeah, Fargo, Fargo. <laughs> you, do you watch that TV series? No. I'm thinking I need to watch the movie and then watch the series. Um, I, I've I've only seen bits and pieces of the movie, believe it or not. I've never sat down and fully watched it. So I I, I think I need to see the movie and then I need to binge watch all of Fargo so that when I go to Fargo, I can I can understand it. I don't know. Wasn't um, Fargo on one of the cities on Route 66? I don't know. Let me look at the map of Route 66 here. I thought Route 66 ran down the middle. Isn't North Dakota, Fargo, North Dakota, isn't that like far north? Yeah. Like Canada, I basically. I, why, why do I think I heard that in the in the song, though? Where can you find like Route 66 cities? Let's I don't see. Know. Google Route 66 cities. Fargo. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't go up that high. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, um, yeah, we're doing a show here. I thought we were playing uh, Let's Google That. That's the, that's the new format of the show. Let's Google That. We should um, just up front, so that before people, we lose even more people, um, talk, the, talk about the change to the extracurricular plans. Yeah, did you get gonna... a website up for that, by the way? The extra. Uh, see if John actually did his homework. Nope, he didn't. You should just this. You should deregister that domain. Do we, no, no, no. It? There's a site. And I've, I've paid for it. I just... I gotta, I gotta log in and see why it's not mapping. It should have mapped. Is this something you just don't have time to do? Like point this thing to the right thing? No, I thought I did it, and I maybe I did it wrong. I thought I did it, and then I thought I was waiting for it to propagate, and it hasn't. So I must have did something wrong. So. And if you'd like to hire John for your web development needs, just hit him mm-hmm. up on Twitter. <laughs> I don't do this stuff anymore. You only do uh, Apex, only Apex do, development only. I only do Apex now. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happened in my career. I used to know this stuff, and then I started getting to Salesforce, and now I don't know that stuff. Mm. No, it's just weird. I'm enjoying enjoying my, uh, I would say less sales, less Salesforce development recently. Been doing actual web development and oh, nice. other cool stuff. Oh, one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to learn. I need you to. I need to get, take some lightning lessons from John. I still just. I'm just. I'm avoiding it. And it doesn't help that none of my clients are on it either. Even I've got a client that's new to Salesforce. And actually, you know what? No, they're not. They're not new. They've had a small department on it for a few years, but they're not on Lightning either. It's like, hmm. no, it's, no one's on Lightning. <clears throat> well, I mean, the more, the more newer clients that I'm interacting with are pretty much, they're on Lightning. Yes, that's just what they're going to start with. So. And you still, I mean, even when I get into an org that Lightning's on, uh, or that they're using Lightning, I mean, it, it, and, okay, if if it if I'm going to spend two minutes going jumping in someone's org to do something or whatever, and and just for that two minutes I have to switch back to classic, mm-hmm. then Lightning's still not ready. Like I mean, there's just things you cannot do or that are just like horrible. Empty the recycle bin. I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> what it was now, but I got in there. Someone asked me to do something. I had to get, jumped in, and I, I mean, I immediately had to switch to Lightning. I'm like, you and had then to switch to Lightning or classic? <clears throat> Sorry, classic. Yep. Yeah. Well, before we get on that train, but there's let's, things. Let's that you, about- there's also things though that you have to have. You have to be in Lightning for. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like <laughs> we can talk about that. But let's let's talk about this TDX straddling two world. Okay, we yeah we have a, important let's updates. Pop the stack. So, yeah, and so that people can stop listening <laughs> after this. <laughs> All right, why don't you go ahead and share what uh, what the news is? Well, the news is um, the day's changing. So, yeah. so all you that booked your hotels and flights, sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> like John and I did. Well, we, well, 
So Jeremy and I do still want to do something on Friday because we're going to be there anyway. So we thought uh, on Friday we just kind of do an informal meetup, right? You're bearing the lead, John. No, I just want, I don't want people to panic and start changing well, their plans. But anyway, let's just tell them. Let's just just tell them the important bits here, and then we'll we'll talk about. <laughs> well, our- I, this is kind of a long convoluted story. I don't know how far how much detail we want to give, but essentially, uh, the extracurricular is going to be a part of Salesforce D. Trailhead X conference, Trailhead DX conference. <laughs> Good, nailed it, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I, I guess throughout the process of all this, it uh, in order to kind of get Salesforce to kind of help sponsor this event, or at least you know give us a space or provide us some some way to to host this. Um, instead of ha- having some kind of post conference event, um, they felt it was better to kind of have us have the event at. The, the conference. Yeah. So the the good thing is it's at the conference and we'll be a part of the the inner circle there and mingling with everyone. The bad part is, is we're not going to be after the conference. So there won't be a lot of opportunity for us to kind of digest and kind of pick apart what we've learned or discuss it in more detail because it'll be happening as we're there. Um, the other bad part is, is you might have to pick and choose. You might pick to choose to come see, you know, the extracurricular for a certain topic, and then you might run off to another session. So we're going to have competition now with in terms of just topics and, yep. and things we want to cover. Yep. Um, but it is a it is a really good. Um, I, I think overall, I think it's a good opportunity for us to kind of get our have this event and have our content out there. Um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's um, yeah, I mean, it's overall a good thing because I think we were we were struggling to line up the the venue and the funding and whatever that we needed. <clears throat> and and you know, Salesforce I think basically just said, okay, well let us work on this and they and they came back and and just offered to um provide everything, but it, it would be, you know, during Trailhead, you know, during Trailhead DX itself. Um so I mean, you know, there's pluses and minuses to that. The the plus is is that we get to do it. <clears throat> and maybe next year when we have more time, if this is successful and if it's something that people want to keep doing, you know, maybe then we talk about, you know, doing it on a separate day or whatever. Because I, I still like the idea of a separate day better because I don't want to have to pick between, I mean, DX is only two days. And now yeah. one of those two days is basically going to be well, it's, uh, technically the whole week. <laughs> because well, they, have, they have the boot camp sessions yeah. prior to that. Yeah, but I don't care about those. I don't even know what those are. So they're trailhead trainings. Okay. Get your badges. There's really two days I care about. Uh, <clears throat> Those are the days you go and get your badges, man. So, so even me, I mean, I'm I'm going to look at even you know during the extracurricular. Um, I'm just you know if there's something in there that you know I'm, I'm interested in more than anything else, then I'll do that. If not, then I'll I'll do something else. You know, so it's it's going to be just like, I mean, kind of it it is it is unique in that sells it's a, a community run and organized thing that Salesforce has agreed to kind of. Uh, take under its wing in a way, or at mm-hmm. least just you know make part of the official thing. And it's going to be. I think you can even. It's going to show up on the scheduling, and it's we're going to have you know one of the um, what do you call them stages, right? Right, that out in the open or whatever. Yeah. I, I believe. So. I believe so. Yeah. Maybe we'll be on the Ohana stage. Do we already make that joke? How about the equality stage? The equal. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that Ohana means equality, man. Doesn't? No, it means family or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's one of those, it's one of those Hawaiian family. words that means 18 completely different things, like aloha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> aloha. So, aloha, yeah, I mean. Hello, hello. So, I guess the short Bye. news is, yeah, adjust your travel if you have to. Um, we still, for those who still will still be around on Friday, uh, we still want to, uh, anyone who's left, 
want to, want to do a, a get together of some sort. I don't know what we'll do. Um, go somewhere and do nerdy stuff or or drink. You know, definitely there will be probably uh, beverages involved if you're in, into that. I mean, we just might pick a spot and say we're going to be here. And, <clears throat> That's true. And uh, grab a beer. Who knows? Right. We might be in another bar. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so if, if you do, if you are going to be around for Friday, uh, then that's that's good because we can still uh, make use of the time. Yeah. Um, what else about Trailhead DX? What what are the need? What are the what's the ask? What are the asks right now, John? Um, well, we're still working on kind of a billboard post that kind of explains in a little more detail what we're looking for. But um, hopefully tomorrow, at least, I'll post it on our Slack community in the general topic, um, and I'll pin it there. So if you're not part of our Slack community. Now's a good time to kind of join so you can kind of stay up to date with all this kind of stuff. Uh, you can do that by going to www.gooddaysirpodcast.com forward slash community or click on the community link and uh, put in your email address and I'll invite you. Um, but essentially, we're going to be looking for speakers. Um, the The vetting process will be uh, will still be enforced in terms of, you know, what type of content. I think we're going to have a couple of two-hour sessions that, that make up a topic with a panel of speakers. And I believe there's going to be what's what we're calling lightning rounds in between. Um, so, so, you know, there, there'll be an opportunity for you to, do, to be a part of the panel and talk in length on a certain topic or uh, maybe possibly participate in one of the more smaller um, sessions or sections um, that are 20 minutes long and you can kind of do a lightning round talk. Um, so that's, that's what I have so far. Um, it's not a lightning round talk. It's a lightning talk. That's what I said, but I, I think light when I when I heard lightning talk, I was thinking talk about lightning. I know. It's, so it's, I added the word round. I, I don't know. I'm yeah. just trying to clarify. Yeah. It, it's, the so world we, well, we should clarify. Is muddied. We should clarify. So a lightning talk, and this these, this is old as the hills. I've been we've been doing this at conferences for years now. But it's uh, yeah, it's just a five minute. You, typically, the format is you get five minutes. You get, you get on the projector and you to talk about whatever you want, and it can be. Um, I like the ones where it can be about anything. So I've been to purple uh, unicorns. I've been to you know uh, like <clears throat> your fondness of fondue. I've been to you know uh, coding conferences where you know eighty percent of the lightning talks are have nothing to do with coding. It's you know about music or car racing or all kinds of random stuff. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the if there are constraints on these lightning talks, but there even if you've got you know something you want to just do a f- quick five minute thing just to share your nerdy thing with the world, then that's a good opportunity for it. And it's, um, I think it's, I think they're probably like, it's like interstitial material to keep people entertained mm-hmm. um, between, I guess, you know, between the bigger talks. So we have a couple of different types of things available that you can participate in. The lightning talk, which I just described, and then a more in-depth talk where you get to talk about something that you did that's really cool and you overcame some limitations in Salesforce and whatever, right? Right. Go out. You had to go outside the box. <clears throat> yep. All right. So I mean that's and, that. And, yeah, and we'll keep we'll keep we'll, people we'll try, updated. We're trying I to mean, keep people updated. We're we're still trying to get information fed to us and put it out there as we can and try to vet it as much as we can. So it's a, it's a process. We're learning. We really have to. We need to get a. Is there not a website that people? There can is go a website. To? I just got to map it. I don't know why the domain's not mapped. Okay. Uh, it's so you're it's mapped to a temporary domain. I. How long do you think that'll? How many more weeks do you think you need to get that going? Because I'll do it right after this. Okay. okay? I already spent. I, 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 I spent money you. on hosting and everything. I, I, I actually bought the darn do, hosting for like three years. Do we need to do a Kickstarter to to pay you to <laughs> point the domain correctly? Uh, it's there. Right. It's it has no content, but it's there. Right. 
so content-wise, I don't have much. Again, super busy, and these will probably be short shows for a while, I guess. But yeah, um, you know, Roger Mitchell created this Apex Minifier, oh. right? Which which is fun. It's funny. <laughs> I mean. And it is I, meant to be a joke, but I, okay, I was gonna, he did not answer me. I said, "Dude, is this tongue in cheek?" Because let's see, what is what is the URL for that? Let me see if I can find it. Apex Minifier. I think that's all you have to put in. It's just a <clears throat> little GitHub thing. Um, yeah, it's not coming up. I don't know. He's it, the links in the Slack somewhere, but it, you know, he's got some. <coughs> I swear, it's a, some tongue in cheek statement about you know why not just minimize it. You know, and get all your test coverage. Um, and like, oh, because if it's all minimized down to one line, <laughs> you just have to run in one line and you're covered, right? Exactly. Um, anyway, I, I wanted to talk about why it may be a good idea other than to cheat code coverage, although don't cheat the code coverage. I mean, right? That, the thing is... So, so wait a minute, you want to start a conversation about why you should, but at the same time you're saying no, no, don't do this. No, let me, let me, I just wanted to say that I mean, code coverage, it's its really, I don't know, my, my view on, on these tests, it's its not necessarily to prove the thing works right now. It's really to allow you to be able to evolve and change your system in the future with the confidence that if you've broken something, which is almost inevitable, you mm-hmm. will break stuff, that you're, when, you're, when your tests run, they will dutifully inform you, hey, John, cool, cool new thing you just built, but you just broke this other thing. Go fix it. Because if you didn't have that, then you're going to deploy this in your production and you're going to go home and think, man, I'm an awesome developer. Life is good. And then, you know, the next morning you find out that your company lost all this revenue because, you know, you're the lead page. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the, the, the lead gen page was broken or something. Um, so that's what tests are for. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can, you can minify and you can do all the other ugly, ugly things to... Uh, to, uh, to avoid writing meaningful tests, but don't do that. You, you'll need those tests. Someone will need those tests. And it's just embarrassing. You don't want to be embarrassed by, because someone's going to see your code eventually. And it's embarrassing. Do you ever fear someone's going to look at your code and you're going to be embarrassed? All the time. Yeah, me too. All the time. Um, Especially the more we talk in this podcast and we talk about different concepts and different things, I just I feel like one day someone's going to get on the Slack channel and say, hey, I saw your code today. Ha ha. Right. <laughs> it was the worst crap I've ever seen. <clears throat> but <clears throat> I just want to talk, have a discussion about are there any actual benefits to minifying other than cheating code coverage? No. No, there's none? No. Well, you could probably, um, how does, okay, so first of all, one thing that I think I probably knew at some point, but I don't really care that much about, so I forgot, is that Salesforce counts code coverage by actual lines, like, you know, where carriage returns are, not by, not by, Statement, Apex statements. Right. So in the case where I've had if statements and for readability, I'll knock the or, ors of my if statement down to new lines. Each one of those would have to get called. Whereas if they were all in one line, I wouldn't have to. Yeah. Or, or you can just separate, you know, a bunch of statements by semicolon, which is probably what the minifier does, right? <clears throat> separate um, a bunch of statements just by mini, uh, semicolons, put them all in one line. And the code coverage tool is going to tell you that that line's covered, even if only like one of those statements is covered. Yeah. Now, that's a t- terrible way to code. I don't suggest that. <clears throat> well, I think the the main... Well, okay, I'll, before I kind of do my cons, I'll let you do your advantages. Well, okay, so that's that's just one interesting thing I learned. Um, but the the one benefit I could think of, again, I don't know how this gets counted, mm-hmm. is if you're coming close to that you know, maximum amount of Apex code size or whatever it is. 
Uh, what no. is it? One megabyte? Yeah, but it's by character. It counts characters. Okay. <clears throat> well, the does does it count spaces in, in white space? Oh, maybe. Yeah. So minifier minifier probably gets rid of white space. Sure. Where it can. Um. So maybe that's a benefit. Although that's still, I mean, it would be minimal. Well, and I, I think, and I've I don't think I've. I'm trying to think if I have hit that one megabyte. I don't believe I have. I mean, I've been in orgs that have, you know, wow, probably, probably, you know, tens of thousands of classes. But the maybe? meg is for a single class. I think there's like. No, no, no. You, your total apex can't oh, okay. be more than like a megabyte or something. I, I'm in orgs with higher limits then. And it's maybe we, I'm trying to think. Maybe we have, either we have gotten that lifted or Salesforce does not strictly enforce that. I can't. I'm I think not, it gets lifted. Does it? Okay. Yeah. And I know, I, I think it's one of those things that if you say, if you tell Salesforce, hey, we, we've, we're hitting this one megabyte limit, um, I, I think they reserve the right to look at your code. Um, I, I think I, you probably... <laughs> I saw some comments the other day that indicate that, although it, it's weird, it's like, you know, isn't, isn't your stuff, isn't Salesforce supposed to not be able, to, unless you grant them access, right? And aren't they supposed to not look at your stuff and not be able to? I think that's the case. I just, I think it goes to the but is it But is it channel. because, no, it doesn't. That your stuff gets reviewed, and I think if you like, and if you like, for example, if you're doing a bunch of garbage, like you got a bunch of garbage Apex, or you're doing garbage things to get around code coverage that's bloating your code, mm. um, <clears throat> I don't think they're going to give you the that um, that increase. Maybe. But you know, the other thing is, you know, Salesforce runs your tests all the time, supposedly, and they can see because they need to see when they or when they're evolving the platform what what your code they're breaking of yours. Well, well that means that that means they can see your code. That's another no. Not necessarily. They can run the test. I mean, just like you can run the yeah, test but when they for run, a but when, managed package. Yeah, but they run the test, and then for the ones that they've broken, they've got to be able to see what they broke. Like it's not. It's not. I don't think it's a black box. I think they can see your code. Hmm. I mean, maybe that's not a big deal. Maybe other people don't think people care about data and their code. They don't. I mean, although code's generally considered intellectual property, so yeah. I mean, that's a big. I, I don't know that they can, and if they could, I'm not so sure I care. Although some companies probably would because they have some of the proprietary algorithms in there. Um, but yeah, but, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think I'd like to know if people do care about that. They, do, do they care that Salesforce can see their code whether and if anyone else can confirm if they can or not? It's also interesting. I just thought of this. that I mean, pretty much anything you do that requires communicating with support, getting things done like this, you have to grant. I mean, they want you to just blanket grant access. Yeah, I mean, so, that gives them so, kind of admin access. So realistically, to the what's what's the point of Salesforce supposedly not being able to see into your org when, pragmatically speaking, you're gonna have to let them in because just getting business done on the Salesforce platform requires you granting them access. Well, I think I think it's it's a uh, it's an onion. It's there's layers. <laughs> so Salesforce is really big. I mean, you probably have. Some people on the sale, in Salesforce that are very working on some very low level stuff. They have access to the database. They have access to whatever, and so they may or may not actually have access to that stuff. But I think at higher levels, like the support people or a salesperson, they don't have the rights to go and see your data or. See no, I'm your, saying, but but you have to getting anything does re- requires you going in and granting them access. Is what I'm not saying always. I mean, are you I, talking did, about support? Did I or? say always? I'm just saying. I am all the time having to, when I report bugs that I need Salesforce to look at and fix and stuff, you have to grant them access to the org. Doesn't That doesn't happen until like tier two, tier three. 
probably well, getting, tier three. John, getting anything does done requires getting past tier one for sure. I mean, basically it means getting to tier three. Yeah, and I think once you get to tier three, yeah, someone's going to want to look at your code. I mean, that, that's the whole point is they want to see. But even when you log a case, one of the questions is, hey, did you grant us access yet? It's just one of the, it's part of the standard form for logging the case. So it's like the, the whole like, oh, we don't worry. We're not going to look at your data. We're not going to look at your stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, but you, unless you ask us to, but you, you essentially what I'm saying is like, you're going to have to let them in to your org. Yeah, you could always say no, not yet. Prove to me you need it. You need it. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I mean, at, at least at least at that point, you still have some degree of control of whether or not to grant access you, to this. You do, but I think your option is to let them have access or to get off the platform and get go somewhere else. If if you've got major issues that they need to address, yeah. Anyway, that's really a rabbit hole. Sorry, that was. Um, yeah, so really, no real benefits to metifying. You don't think? Because there's, so. I think there's a lot. I was thinking to myself, man, there's a lot of disadvantages to that. It is, yeah, there's a lot of disadvantages. I mean, one being you can't get your code back out and read it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? I mean, I guess you could run a a beautifier tool against it, but and and I, I have to assume that in terms of minifying, um, like say JavaScript or something like that, where it actually does compile and minify down to you know changes your variable names and things like that. Obviously, that's not happening. It's just removing characters and spaces. So it's not really minifying all that much. So you're not really gain, gaining that much space back. It's just a, you have code that's in, sitting in one line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, think about, I mean, how many times you actually have to go into production and set up, set up debug logs to figure out, you know, why something's happening or whatever. You well, know, another, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, <laughs> other disadvantages, you get an error and it's it's line one. You would get a stack trace. <clears throat> But yeah, you're exactly your line numbers are not because there's, I don't think, I mean, there's, you know, it's like there's, you know, debug symbols or, um, it'd be cool if there were some kind of source maps, I guess. But still, I mean, unless there was tooling to just pretty much automatically use those source maps, it's like, who, who wants to do that? Yeah. So I think, uh, we're going to have to recommend against metafying. Sorry, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think Roger turned it into a, uh, a lead gen for his company. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, <laughs> that's fine. I think it, it's, I, it's, I, can, I consider that like a funny lead gen. Yeah. See, it's marketing. And if you can it come is. up with creative yeah. marketing, we will talk about it for free. I should come up with something that like, I don't know, when you close, win an opportunity, like you got dollar dollar bills floating down your screen or something. <laughs> would, be some, could that, would, that, would that be a funny lead gen, John? You could do that. Um, yeah, you could do that. Because you could, you could, uh, you could plug into platform events and you could kick off a toast and maybe you could have another script that makes the dollar bills float down. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's possible. Yeah. Is that a code challenge, Jeremy? Here we go. Oh, wait. Where's this playing? Hang on. I need the dollar, dollar, dollar. That's what I need. Hey, hey. Oh, all right. Uh, well, that was that. Uh, what else do I have? No, nah, that's about it. What do you got, John? What's what's what? What are you going to entertain us with this week? Uh, you know, it's actually been a really slow news week. Uh, there really wasn't much news, and I was kind of busy anyway, so not much news wise. So we do have an interview, another interview with Benioff that we can get to. Um, I have a few things that I kind of want to talk over. Um, I don't know how interested are you in Pardot? I've been doing a lot of Pardot. Too lately. Yeah, I see. I've not done any part. I don't even a know what part is. A part of. 
I don't even know what Pardot is. I don't is. even know what Pardot is. And I'm doing I'm doing Pardot and I don't know what Pardot is. I haven't is. met anyone who even people who do Pardot who know what it is. It's so. so weird when it comes to the marketing tools and marketing cloud in general because Pardot gets lumped into it, but it's not journey builder. It's not that. It's this other thing. And it gets kind of, I feel like it gets kind of treated as simply like this mass emailer and that's it. Like if you really want real marketing tools and you have to do the marketing cloud, but if you just want a mass emailer, then it's Pardot. But Pardot does have some tools in it. And so I feel like I never really understand the main difference between Pardot and Marketing Cloud. So my, <clears throat> I think, probably reductive uh, summary or ways to, to delineate in my brain uh, is that Marketing Cloud is B2C and Pardot is B2B. Pardot is B2B? No, I mean, I, we're using it for customers. Customers? Well, they're all customers. Yeah, that's true. Got to be a customer company. Do you mean Consumers? I mean, that's why I said it's reductive. I don't think it's an absolute. You can probably, I'm just saying that Marketing Cloud is more B2C-ish and Pardot's more B2B-ish, but that could be wrong. That's why it's always been explained to me, though. Yeah, everything I've been tasked to do with Pardo has been <clears throat> B2C. So what are you doing with Pardot? Well, yeah, that's the, that's the non-interesting part is I'm creating a bunch of templates. So I, I guess because I can do HTML... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you did web development. I, I get to do a little bit of web development, and it, it's it's. Um, I thought you didn't get to do web development, John. Yeah, I get get to do a little bit here and there. A little CSS. You said you didn't want to. A little CSS. You wanted to be an apex jockey. An apex jockey. Wow. <laughs> Is that derogatory? I don't, anyway? It felt derogatory, but yeah, I think it was. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna say it was. <laughs> uh, no, I have just been making templates and things. It's kind of interesting. I, I feel like when Salesforce moved to their whole lightning system and you know, now you have all these kind of page layouts and these ways to drag and drop components and so you have these, this concept of a template now for these pages. Um, when what, it comes what kind to, of pages are we talking about? These like landing pages, like lead pages? It could be a landing page. Mic, it could be microsites? Do people, is microsites still a thing? Probably. I don't think Pardot does microsites. Um, HubSpot might. <clears throat> is that, that's like where you, um, you have a campaign and people land in your microsite? On the landing page of your microsite, and in and to your funnel, so oh. that uh, you said that you, they can maybe, be on your uh, maybe what do you call just, journey on your journey. Maybe it's just terminology. Yeah. So the landing page of your microsite of your funnel of your journey. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> You're gonna stretch this. I've I've, um, I've heard complaints. Of, and it's not a surprise about Pardot's integration with Salesforce. I, I've you know the marketing cloud complaints about integration are those are old. Yeah. Those forever. Well, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's, it's a very simple process. I mean, it tries to sync up and remember who the contact is. It has things that has to keep track of in terms of like what the first campaign it responded to or what campaign it attributes a pertinent lead or contact to and all that kind of weird stuff, stuff I don't really get into. Um, I just kind of know some of the stuff based on just being around people who are implementing it. Um, most of the stuff I've had to deal with is just kind of creating customizations for it. Like, and I it really, it, the reason I bring up kind of like the new lightning system for <laughs> templates and things is is where classic was kind of really the old school way. You had very limited ways of laying things out. You really had no customized, no ways to customize it. Parda is kind of in that same vein. Um, it has a little bit more customization because you can basically create an HTML page and you have these merge tags that you can put in. Those merge tags are pretty limited and you kind of have to work with their layout and their CSS and the way their system kind of uses those merge tags. Um, so I found it really kind of difficult to try to get a form to look a certain way or lay out a certain way or... I don't know, use some more modern techniques like use a placeholder instead of a label. You couldn't do that. So 
they're, they're, you know, that you can get a third-party JavaScript library to get it to do it. So stuff. we're so we're talking about this is just you know typical inter, inter again this is enterprise computing. This is the kind of stuff to expect. Well, yeah, you know, I always thought that maybe it would, by now it would have better tooling, but I haven't seen the tooling get better. And I just I see it slowly. I mean, I care about all these updates to part up, but I, I don't see anything changing in terms of the tooling for us to be able to build better templates, more customi- customizable templates, or even having to get dig into the HTML less type situation. You're literally the last person in the world that Pardot is made for. Yeah. It's not made for you, John. Yeah. So just deal with your crappy tags and <laughs> shut up about it. Yeah. You get what you get and you don't throw a fit. That's what we say in my house. Oh, we have that saying too. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's just been kind of a little frustrating trying to get everything to work, and then, and then that's not to mention all the responsiveness and trying to get it to work on all these different browsers, and then and then when it comes to email, I try not to do any custom templates. I try to point them towards using the tooling, because when it comes to email templates, it's not just HTML markup. Because like in Outlook and older versions of Outlook, you have to use like the Microsoft tags, like the MSO, whatever markup tags. Yeah. It's really weird. I hate them. I I, I, hate I them. won't do um, email. Uh, Designs, yeah. Um, I'll, it, there are there are places that you can send your stuff over to, and they'll do them for you. Because there's like eight hundred thing, thousand things you have to know, mm-hmm. and I don't want to know any of them because they're yeah. all so depressing. Right. Yeah. So I try to stay clear of the email. I try to stick to the landing pages. But what I what I've seen, you know, people send me examples of pages because they're like, oh, we saw this cool cool uh, layout, this landing page someone did with this. And, and and I'll get it and I'll go and I'll start asking some basic questions. Okay, well, this isn't really responsive, first of all. Um, it's also geared towards modern browsers only. What's your target audience I'm, here? I can just hear you. <laughs> oh my God, this is not even responsive. <laughs> uh, I, I think people, when, when they start messing with the HTML and stuff, they forget that they still have to de- treat it like any other kind of website. You still have to worry about responsiveness. You still have to worry about compatibility, browser compatibility and all those kind of things. And so I see all these things and people are excited, like, get it to do this, get it to do this. I'm like, well, I can, but then I'm gonna I'm gonna you're gonna lose half your browser support. You said you wanted to support IE eight and up. Well, I can't do that. Or I can, but I'll have to inject a bunch of JavaScript. I mean, do they know if they have anyone using IE eight? <clears throat> That's the other thing. No one can really tell me when I ask the question of browser compatibility, no one can really tell me what they want to support because they're like, I don't know. And also, if someone's running IE8, they probably are not even qualified to be your customer. It's probably better that you make the site not work for them. <laughs> you tell so someone you in marketing, waste. you tell someone in marketing, they're not tech okay. savvy enough to be your customer. That's it's just not, not going to happen. not tech savvy. It's just that no one who is qualified would be running a machine that's actually that old and that busted and broken and probably... V- riddled with viruses and all kinds of other crap. Well, here, here's the example I gave to someone because someone asked me the question, do people really use older browsers? And I said, well, here's the scenario that I see more most often is you have someone who's not really technical and doesn't really care about computers. They use it to check their email, get online, do their Facebook, and that's it. They never upgrade their system unless the system automatically does it. So what happens is you have people who buy a system maybe 10 years ago and that's it. They never install anything new or do anything new with it. They bought the system and it is what it is. And any time they upgrade, it's because they bought a new system. So they're not upgrading browsers or installing new browsers or anything like that. They're just buying a new system and using it as is. They're afraid to touch it. They're afraid to update stuff. And so you do have a population of people on machines with older browsers and older technology because they're not touching <laughs> it. They're not doing anything with it. 
unlike us who every time a new update comes up, or at least me, I'm I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Give me the new shiny. Yeah, I mean, again, most most of these things just update themselves also. And I think that's the benefit to what we have going on today, you know, with the latest version of IE auto-updating and, of course, Chrome, who's done it forever, and, and Firefox has done it forever. Now we're, we're kind of able to see a light at the end of the tunnel where we, we can pretty much rely on most people being on a, at least a one or two version behind browser, if not the most current. Yeah. But with a population, a large population out there still still on IE 8, 9, a lot older versions, it's, it's, it, we can't chop that population off yet. So guess when Internet Explorer 8 was released? I don't know, 05? 09. Oh. <clears throat> it's old. Yep. Anyway. So you've just been doing like Pardot de- like designs, basically, like template. Yeah, and it's more just kind of, I, I still feel like I'm playing the role of educating, just trying to get people to understand, you know, the things I have to do, they, they see they see this page or they give me this mark this design from their marketing team and I have to tell them, okay, this is gonna take some work. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, it's already designed. I'm like, well, I gotta lay this out. I gotta chop the images up and, and upload them and create get that's the other thing about part out. There's no at least that I've discovered, and someone can tell me if I'm doing this wrong, but you can upload a content file. There's there's no kind of relational folder structure. So I have to physically go to that file grab the link, the public link for it, and insert that into more markups. All my, all my links and everything are hard-coded in there, mm. in that template. So there's no kind of relative folder structure or anything that I can reference. There is kind of like a vanity URL that you can use, but that's not, it's not really made for that. So Your situation reminds me of um, there was this project that I was working on, and um, they basically dumped a bunch of mockups on me. <clears throat> And they had a designer do them, but the it looked like um, it was a print. This person had to be a print designer because it looked like a it looked like a, a brochure. And, and this, a lot of this landing pages are kind of designed this to for be... an app, a a f- highly functional interactive app, and it looked like a oh. magazine. The page and, you had to build was is an app, <clears throat> but the UI and everything was more like a, a magazine. Is yeah, yeah, and I'm just and. And so the whole time, I mean, so I'd just go page, you know, screen by screen, basically, and, and take what I could, but also bring it into the modern web. And a lot of it, they were like, oh, that looks good. But I'm, I'm, it just was like an ongoing battle. And yeah. that's also, <clears throat> I've actually had lots of bad experiences over the past couple of years with out, like outside designers, like designers that I don't work with, that don't work for me. Um, hmm. And just the, it sets up just really horrible expectations. And it also, it's outside of any kind of process I have any control over. So that yeah. might like waterfall this thing to death or, which that happens with designers. I'm, you know, there's lots of designers that are still stuck with really bad processes. Yeah. And that's probably developers too. Not, not that that's you know, anything well, that, unique to designers, but. I think the nice thing about the modern world of web design is, is there's, there's more, Collaborate, co- collaborative tools. I mean, there's a lot of tools now that will let you design for interfaces. Usually they're geared towards mobile, but you can use them for desktop web. But they'll, they'll let you design kind of UI, <laughs> even, even animations, even kind of transitions and things like that. And so it lets you kind of extract the markup for those or at least extract the assets for it in a really clean, easy way yeah. so that you can kind of collaborate with your developers more and that right. process is a little more seamless. Yeah, there's, you know, like a Sketch and Figma and whatever these things that are 
they're real collaborative and you can just like right click on anything and get the, like the, the CSS for it. And it's just like really nice. Yeah. No, anytime you get InDesign files sent to you, you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, so moving on, I had to refactor something entirely, which I thought was pretty fun. Um, it, it goes back to our conversation on that survey thing I was writing. And I, I mentioned that I had to change the names of everything. <laughs> I didn't have to, but I kind of felt like, oh, well, Salesforce is coming out with a new object for survey, and I, I don't want any name conflicts, so I'll go ahead and change it. Yep. Um, so I made all those changes. I, I ended up having to refactor anyways. Um, I thought it was a fun a fun exercise mentally. I mean, it was tedious and painful to have to go in and do that, but at the same time, I kind of enjoyed the process of kind of, it was almost like a refactor from ground up. I don't know, I don't know if that sounds right. I basically sounds like to me you just renamed an object, but refactoring is a, to me a, a kind of quite a different. thing. No, I'm just saying that it's that it, it's that same project where I had to do that, but in it there were some new requirements that I had to implement. Mm-hmm. And looking back at how I originally designed it, um, it didn't really fit well for yeah. at least it didn't make it right. easy for me to add that other piece yep. on. So I ended up having to kind of backtrack, start from the beginning, and build it in a way that it would support that that mm-hmm. next next in line feature. Yep. Um, do you try to follow the open closed principle? I don't think so. Yeah, it's sometimes that will help you in those those type of things. That's so basically like, oh, what does it stand for? Open, open for extension, closed for modification. I think is what it means. <clears throat> so it's basically the idea that it's um, the way that you extend it is by like um, implementing like a new uh, a new inst- a new a new class, implementing an interface, basically like mm-hmm. a, you know new. So if you need a new type of thing, well, the thing is already def- it's. Its general shape is already defined, right? You've got some interface or whatever, and um, yeah, it's still it's still impossible to a lot of it's usually impossible to predict though, like what the future is going to bring in terms of what direction some system needs to go. So yeah. you know, you do your reasonable best to write good code, but I mean, um, it's it's refactoring is uh, it's always a, it's it's a necessary thing. Yeah, I. I, I... I was I was trying to figure because I felt the process was pretty interesting. I felt like I took some, I took a concept that I had originally designed, and I had to take a few steps back and kind of say, okay, I'm gonna have to make some trade offs here and rebuild it and get rid of some functionality. So I had I had to make some hard decisions in terms of getting rid of some functionality. Now, fortunately, it wasn't in the original requirements to have this functionality. It was just kind of a symptom of the way I originally designed it, um, which they I was they ended up liking. But then I had to kind of come back and say, okay, I had to take that out in order to make this other thing happen. Um, the other thing I found out with my original data model was um, I didn't I, I don't know why I didn't think about this was the storage, the way I originally designed it and the way it would kind of clone things off to represent a point in time like records you mean? records okay. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it, lots of data it, the data blew up after like a handful of people tested it I mean it, I mean things worked it's just that I didn't realize how much that was going to just eat up my storage you were, were you logging every pixel that the mouse moved. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Generating heat maps and no, everything. but there was there was a fair amount of redundant information in the system. Now, even though I still end up with a with with records, and here's where the Salesforce the way Salesforce calculates storage kind of sucks. Um, I have a much smaller data set, but it's still records, so I still end up with quite a bit of records because of the way Salesforce calculates the storage, um, which in some some ways sucks, and in some ways it's awesome because you can just stick a bunch of stuff in a record that's. Tons don't of, they 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 measure record width now don't they don't they is it not just a flat 2k per record they use I, that record width now? i don't know maybe if that's true that's awesome but i i as far as i know it's still a 2 well, it's awesome unless you're gaming that right right 
So it, it, yeah, it's it sucks if you can't game it. it. It's awesome if you can game the system that way. But in my case, you know, I ended up with much smaller objects, handful of fields. It's very minimal in terms of what it's storing, but it still stores a, a number of records, less than what the original model did, but but that much. Did you did you have to like just denormalize the data model a little bit? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, essentially, I would take a snapshot of this survey with all of its topics and questions and move that over and clone it. Um, and I had this concept of being able to say this question only shows up if this other question was answered X or B or these other two questions. So there's a there's some a skip, logic. some skip logic. There is some there's some <laughs> logic in there, and and the topics themselves have logic. So you can at the top of level you can say don't show anything in this topic unless on the previous or unless this question was answered B or whatever. Um, what happened is later on I have to I had to basically come up with recommendations based on this survey, and so I needed to give the users the ability to say, okay, if they answer it, if question one is B, then recommend this for them. And and that had logic. Well, when I cloned everything over, all the logic is based on the original data set, not the clone data set, yeah. which has all new references. So I'm like, crap. Yeah. Now I can't do this later thing because everything is based on this thing. And I would have to kind of hop through the original or through the, the answers and then reference back the template like migrate everything kind of? No, I'd have to jump. I'd have okay. to jump from, I'd have to make, whenever I cloned everything, I'd have to keep reference to the original template. And so that was like, well, that's just crappy. Yeah. So now I'm just storing only the responses and there's a top level record that groups those responses. And now I'm able to kind of remap everything really quickly and really easily. Um, another thing that bought me is they wanted people to be able to come back to the survey because it turns out there's like a hundred questions. Um, it's not like, 10. I guess they don't have it. They don't have a great <laughs> completion rate on those surveys. Well, actually, they do. It's it's not. I'm calling it a survey, but it's more of an assessment. Um, and and that is it's it's something that someone sounds actively, like a, sounds like an Ohana exam or what are they called? A certification <laughs> exam. Uh, yeah. So anyway, anyways, it's it, it's more of an assessment. And so what happens is there is a, a lot of questions. Maybe you can replace the web. What's it called? Web. Web. Uh, what's the Salesforce's exam thing? Or do they switch? A used web to, used to be, are they still running that? I don't know. Oh. And that I feel like that thing was super crusty when it came out like 15 years ago. Oh, maybe. <clears throat> maybe you could replace that. That need thing needs to be replaced. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually kind of on the fence about doing this kind of customization. I, mean, I feel like they probably get more bang out of a out of another tool, but yeah. they wanted this built, and and so yeah. you know, I'm just kind of. We need our out. own surveys. There's no survey system that's good enough for us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so either way, regardless of, of why they need it or how they need it, you know, I was given a set of requirements. I'm trying to help meet those requirements. And um, it was just through that process where I started out with this one design. I thought I had it nailed, thought it was awesome until I realized it didn't allow me to grow into the future or do certain things in the future. So I had to modify it. And it was, it was a fun exercise to kind of go back and see where I went wrong, how, how to fix that, how to address it, uh, and kind of move on from there. And I felt like I ended up with code that was much more efficient. It, 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 the data storage I felt was really quick and easy. I felt it was easier to understand than my original data model. It, it, it's much easier to understand, here's where the results are for this, and not just have like a record type that says, this is the template, and this is the actual answer. <laughs> um, my data model. I have to add that data to the list. <laughs> it's all mine. <laughs> it apparently is. It's mine. All John's things. Um, but I did run into a situation... Uh, because I, I I essentially try to maintain some level of abstraction. I'm trying to do less passing around of S objects, whereas you know years past, 
if I had if I had an S object in memory, I'd pass it around everywhere I needed a list of S objects. If I need to query something, I'd query it and deal with that list of S objects. And now I'm dealing with more abstractions, right or wrong. I'm abstracting it. I have basically an entity object that knows how to query the database. It maps everything to its own properties, and now that only that class has a dependency on that S object. So the entity knows how to persist itself. Yeah, I mean, I could have gone to the uh, additional layers of data stores and all that kind of stuff. I mean, if you're going to abstract, like that'd be the first thing to abstract. Like the thing shouldn't know no, how to it's, store. It's, it's a baby step database. of abstraction. Okay. So it's what's the point of it? Steps. What's wrong with the, what's wrong with passing S, S objects around? I guess I guess when it comes to refactoring, more than anything, it's more just kind of a maintenance thing for me. Um, in cases where a field needs to change, or we need to get rid of a field or add a field, it just seems with that abstraction layer, I don't, I don't, I only have one place to have to go to fix. So how do you how are you writing the fields and stuff? Are you just writing via the the generic getters and setter methods? You're writing the fields. Well, I mean, you're saying that you know if you want to be able to, I mean, you're gonna have to. Okay, if you're going to remove a field that's referenced in code, I mean, mm -hmm. you're going to have to go into the code and remove that reference to that field anyway. Yeah, but it's in one place. I don't have to go and change 10 different classes because that one So are these 10 different on. classes that, are these classes that use this an entity or are they different entities? What do you mean by, what are these 10 classes? It's just logic. It's just, it's just this, this block of, this module. We'll call it a module. And it's, maybe it's got 10 classes in it. And they all have to reference, I don't know, I'm going to use account for, for an example. Okay. They all have to have a reference to the account at some point or deal with that account at some point. And so there's probably well, you know, 100 well, different places in each one of these okay. 10 classes where that field, the field account name is referenced. Right. So what do they, instead of, instead of referencing directly account dot, let's just say it's a, Log name account dot log name underscore underscore c right because mm -hmm. let's say it's a custom field yeah and you're going to remove that custom field right um so all these ten classes that reference that field they're not going to reference the field that's what you said so what are they referencing how how are they writing to that field if they don't reference the field there would be an object or a class called my my account for okay. better for okay. lack of a better word okay. and it would have a property called long name and it's just a property okay and so one of the static methods of that class is get me the account by ID and it returns the my class object instance. Right. So it's not dealing with So CS all those, okay, but you're going to remove the custom field called long name and this, this my account has long name too and presumably you're going to remove that too. And so these 10 classes that reference my account's long name, you're going to have to change all those 10 classes. <clears throat> no, I wouldn't have to. Why is that? Because I can just change it in that one spot. It, it, it's really not removing or adding. It's not really removing names. It's more kind of changing data types or or renaming something that I'm more worried about. I'm not worried about fields getting removed or added. It's more just you know renaming something or re want, wanting to refactor something in the throes of trying to build a complicated yeah. piece of code. Well, let me back up to like I just want to say in refactoring the thing that I've had success with. And again, of course, you know my like I I like to <clears throat> I like to treat Salesforce development. As close to traditional software development as possible <clears throat> in terms of how you treat things, you know the uh, pr you know principles and and tooling and just the way you uh, the way you would build you know real software, and that in that means that you need to have you need to be working with like your full source code, right? All your source code you need to have it local. <clears throat> what that allows you to do. Is let's say you're gonna you do want to rename a field and it's mentioned by a bunch of Apex classes. Uh -huh. uh, one thing you can do is you can just do a find and replace right on all your anytime that now that's kind of dangerous because it's dangerous because we historically haven't had very good refactoring tools. But you could do that. 
And then what you do is, uh, and now you're doing all that offline. You don't use, use something like the Eclipse or whatever, or any tool that like auto saves every class as you do it, because that's not going to work. They're going to fail. Mm. <clears throat> right. You do all your refactoring essentially offline. And then you do basically one compile, so to speak. So it's all compiled in mm-hmm. air quotes at once right. so that all these references uh, are resolved. Right. Um, and, you know, you can, you, you can, I mean, even you can just do a mass save on all classes using any of these tools nowadays, but I've, I've usually always used something that like um, um, uh, kind of a combination of some of these command line things and like uh, the ant migration tool or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> to do all those at once, but yeah, that, I mean that's how you can that's how you can refactor. Sometimes sometimes that's the only way, actually, unless you're going to just remove all of your code. Which, if you have a non-trivial org, is even that's unwinding code and getting it removed <laughs> is also a. Uh, there's a lot of layers to that onion. Yeah. So. Well, I, I felt like I wasn't really making my point very well when I said I was abstracting because I, not only does Well, that's it, hard to explain. It's hard to explain without looking at code, really. I'd, well, it is. I mean, it's not only just being able to pass around and we'll just keep using the my account object, um, passing that around, but I also want to extend it. You know, I can't extend an X object. I can't add new properties to it. I can't add new methods to it or anything like that. So a lot of things, a lot of the reasons I kind of start out with this level of abstraction is I'm able to extend it yeah. and build on it and and kind of create yeah. some degree of yeah. separation concerns right. there when it comes to yeah, that object. getters and setters that do transforms on the way in or out or all kinds of things right sure um, I'll tell you one thing that S objects have that's just great though is that constructor where you can initialize an S object yeah and pass an arbitrary it's um, you know, uh, named parameters I guess is the term for it essentially yeah. <clears throat> that that is that is one thing I do That's I do very miss nice. about it because yeah. then with my class I'm having to generate it all yeah <laughs> right and if you want to I mean if you want to atomically initialize like your my account mm-hmm. you either have to have a constructor that's predefined that takes all the fields that you need to initialize it with yeah across all your different use cases some use cases might need to pass three the values in some might need to pass fifty values in yeah um, or you just don't have atomic construction and you construct an empty or it kind of a, a an instance in a somewhat invalid state and then just call all of its setters to get everything populated the way you want. Yeah, I, I typically, at least at least for the stuff I've been doing, is I try to modularize it. So I try to say this entity is for, this entity object, I hope I'm using that term right, is for this module. And if I have another module, so to speak, that has to use the, that account, then it'll have its own object to deal with that. Yeah. This, this, uh, and that that allows me to kind of minimize the amount of kind of getters that I that I have. You know, I can have a get by ID, and and because that's the only thing this module needs. But maybe another module needs get by name and address or something. You know, and it would have its own set of methods. So I try not to cross it that way, because otherwise I'll just end up with this gigantic class, and it's just it changing that would be an issue because now it affects all these other modules. Yeah. And so I try to try to componentize things a little bit more. I I I know it. I know that. Apex in general is really geared towards S object, especially when you get into Visual Force. Now, with Lightning, it's less so because you're just kind of passing objects with properties and you can still pass that and deal. You can you can recreate some kind of in, valid interface that has like a an input field or something in more ways than you can in Visual Force. Like in Visual Force, the only way to get a proper lookup is to bind it to an S object field that's yeah. lookup. Yeah. Um, and so date, that's always. Date Picker was always the yeah, fun one. Yeah, Date right? Picker is another fun one. Um, so that's always kind of been an issue with Visual Force and why I've had to expose the S object in all my code in places where I didn't want to expose it. Yeah. 
Um, so I don't know, right or wrong. I mean, it's just, it's something I find that works at least for me during the throes of development. Now, probably unless I'm like extremely refactoring in the future, which is rare, it usually just helps me develop things a little bit quicker because now if I do decide I need to refactor or change an object name or something, I've only got one place to deal with and all my other logic is fine. Yeah. I could see so how really that, helps I could see how that could build up cruft too though. Yeah, I mean yeah, you only have to rename something in one place, but I've, all the your other stuff is referring to like an old name or maybe like a not refactored name and you, Well, no, refactoring properties in a class is easy, especially with the tools in IntelliJ. It's yeah. I can't refactor an object name very easily. Yeah. I can't refactor a field name very easily. I can't change the type, data type or something, those kind of things. Mm. Um, so uh, ra rather than have to go and yeah. touch it in all these different places and potentially break my code in all these different places, I touch it in one spot and I know that, yes, I know. I'm, I gotta, I'm just going to start dinging you. <laughs> not, not that it's bad, just to, just to point out. <laughs> what, the my? Yeah, the my. Oh, that's your referring to, I kept saying touch it. Oh, that too. <laughs> that, was, that was starting to creep up on my brain. Keep now, this reminded it. me of something though that's always a, a kind of a perennial challenge, which is, you know, when you're querying S objects, you have to, specify in advance the fields you want to be populated in that object, right? Yeah. And I try to do things like isolate my query logic to its own tidy little place and not to have, I don't like query logic mixed up all in the business logic and stuff. Mm. I want business logic to just be business logic. I don't want to see any persistence bullcrap. I don't want to see any kind of querying stuff or anything like that. Right. Want, you know, right? So I've got you know, classes that it's like almost like a data layer, but there's you know there's different patterns. Uh, you know, like a repository pattern. That's kind of the most popular one. The it's, uh, the uh, one of the um, financial force guys. They have like a kind of a selector type pattern. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I mean, these things you kind of have to. If you are going to centralize your query logic, then where that query is being made, it has to. It it's the thing that has to specify the fields. Mm -hmm. So do you just look across all of your use cases that use like say an account? And find out all the fields. Make a list of all the fields that get used across all these different use cases, and the, and that's now your your field list that gets queried. It's kind of what I've done in the past. Yeah. And then and that's that's not so bad. Okay, that's not so bad. I can I can handle that. Yeah, it's going to be. I'm not worried about like the unless. I mean, I guess if you have like hundreds of fields that you're querying, which is possible on an, on a on an object, it's probably not a problem in terms of like performance or or you know memory usage. Yeah. Um, but what's really a problem is is uh, joins and like subqueries and things. Well, mainly joins, I guess. So sometimes you want to get, sometimes you need, you want to query that account with all its contacts. Yeah. Well, so I've got some use cases that need all those contacts with their accounts. Do I bake that into my data layer? No. Nope. I, I, I know. And so what do you do? Do you have, um, do you have a, like, so you have a class that's called account repository, account with contacts repository. Account with contacts and opportunities repository. Accounts with just opportunities repository. I mean, what? How do you? It's just you know, and 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 SQL is static, unless you want to go with dynamic SQL, which has its downsides, yeah. but it also has the advantage of you can actually build these queries dynamically, right? And instead of having eight different account repositories, you can have one different account. We can have one account repository that which the, does a bunch of horrible, horrible string concatenation to build yourself a query. <laughs> Well, which which actually also could be abstracted into a into a actual like a query building class. Yeah. I mean, I've done that before too. Yeah, I was gonna say that. I think the the what is it? The Force Enterprise Library has a has query that, yeah. builder. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's there's been others as well. So, yeah. but that's yeah, that's man, that's something that's still tough with the. Um, I mean, the decisions I made is is that you know it doesn't really save me a query because Salesforce will count that as two queries anyways. 
if I'm doing a subquery. Um, Does it? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> so when you it, it doesn't save you. A I usually query. try to stay so low on the query count um, anyway yeah. that I I don't think I'm. I try not to worry about it too much. I especially now that most of my automation stuff I've moved to a cubeable. Um. So now I'm pretty much in my own context. It's got a little bit more higher limits. Um, I'm less concerned about things running multiple times, that type of situation. So hopefully, hopefully I'm okay in thinking that. But yeah, I, I, I just, I just, I just kind of, this is how you get an account, and this is the method you go to get that account, and then here's how you get the contacts, and this is the method you use to get the contacts. And a lot of times, what I'll have is in those those objects, I'll have some helper methods that say, <laughs> here's a list of accounts. Now give me all the IDs, or here's a list of accounts and turn it into a map of this, you know, that kind of thing, um, just to kind of shuffle that data around a little bit more. It's, you, it's more statements. I mean, fortunately, yeah. I don't have to worry about statements. I just have to work, work, worry about CPU time. Um, but I, I, it, it's more work, it's tedious, and it's hard to explain for people to understand. But for me, in terms of being able to refactor and maintain it moving forward, I feel better about it than I do creating all these hard dependencies on an S object. Yeah. Have you ever used a, like a proper ORM, like a... I don't even know what what is .NET's entity framework. That's an ORM, yeah. right? So I've, I've been I work I've done like a lot with you know Hibernate some of these Java things. The, what's cool about them is <clears throat> you define your data model, and so the code knows the data model. And when you so you can say, hey, give me an account, and it gets you an account, and it knows that that account has related contacts and opportunities and history and all kinds of stuff. But it doesn't necessarily query them at the same time. Yeah. So you get an instance of an account, right? And you can pass that to any of your business classes or whatever, and if they just happen to say, oh, account.contacts, like they, it traverses into that context, then that, there's actually a dynamic proxy of some sort that if, you, if that's the first time you've traversed to that, to that account's contacts, right. boom, it queries the database, gets those contacts you know, real time. And, and so what's nice about that is you don't have to pre-decide or you don't have to figure out what all code paths are going to execute and decide up front. Now, there's downsides to that too. You can end up with way more queries. Mm-hmm. So you can say, hey, eagerly fetch contacts. Or you can even on a, you can even on a query by query basis say, yeah, I know I'm going to need contacts. And I, first of all, I'm going to get back a list of 200 accounts and I'm going to need all of, for mm-hmm. each one of them, I'm going to need their set of contacts. And right. so if you don't eagerly fetch that, then basically every time you loop through a contact and say contact, or you say account.contacts, <laughs> it's going to query just for that one account's contacts. Right. So you still have to be smart about it. It doesn't prevent you from having to think, but you set things up well and architect it well, and you can end up with some very nice code, really readable, minimal code that is right. doing the right things query-wise. And it's doing them all for you, basically, once you get it set up. Well, it, not just query-wise. I mean, you got to have that same channel for writing data because that's got to invalidate your cache of records. And that's another thing that these, these modern ORMs are super smart about. So they're, right. anything you do to those accounts and contacts, it's basically building, and, and FenceForce has this too, although it's, super crusty compared to any other modern stack. But you build what's called a unit of work. And I, I've, as far as I know, I, I'm probably wrong, but it seems to me that unit of work, that pattern, came mm-hmm. out of ORMs. I mean, I swear the Hibernate guys invented unit of work. But basically, it's just it's tracking everything you're doing to this account and these contacts and everything. And it knows. Oh, he completely removed that contact from, from, it, from the list of contacts for that account. We should delete that when this, transactions, or when this transaction happens. It keeps... Oh, he just changed the name of that account, or what? You know, modified these fields or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's keeping this list of things that have to be done. And as soon as you say, and of course nowadays with things like Spring or or CDI or whatever, 
as soon as your method's done or whatever, like your service method or whatever the hell it was executing, mm-hmm. as soon as it leaves that method, the transaction automatically, the, the system knows that you're done with that transaction and the unit of work fires and executes all these statements against the database to make the database up to date with what you had in memory and code-wise. It's really, right. I mean, there's, don't get me wrong, there's caveats and you can, especially if you don't know what you're doing and I've, you know, I still feel like, I've been working with Hibernate for 10 years, I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing with it kind of. Um, you can screw things up or you can you can get in self self in a situation where like there's inefficient stuff happening, right? But I'd rather optimize. I'd rather not premature optimize that. In fact, I usually, except for the really obvious things, where like I know I'm going to need these contacts on this account. Like I just I don't eagerly fetch anything, and most of the time it's not a problem. I mean, unless you're building some super high scale site, in which case I don't recommend an ORM anyway. I recommend all hand tuned queries. Yeah. Um, unless you're doing something like that, you know, it's not a, it's not a problem. So it's it's you know, you, once you get over the learning curve, it, it's pretty efficient and you don't have to do much premature optimizing. Well, John, we should say, I, I, it, it, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you happy Valentine's Day before we leave. So happy Valentine's Where's Day. Where's my chocolate? <laughs> it's in your thing there. Oh. <laughs> the Time Lord brought the chocolate. <clears throat> yes. Oh, look at that. The Time Lord Did, brought lots John, of John, have you taken care of Valentine's Day? Oh, um, you know, thankfully... I have a chocolate. Uh, Valentine's this? for my family is reserved for the kids. So my wife and I don't even worry about it. No, I would say that 80% of people I talk to, they either say something like that or they say, yeah, we agreed a long time ago that Valentine's Day is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's exactly what we'd agreed, but we still do it for the kids. Yeah. You know. Well, because like, you know, if someone sends you flowers on Valentine's Day, it's like, oh, well, yeah, you you had to. I mean, this yeah. is not there's nothing special about this. Yeah. But on just some random day, like you know, like how you occasionally send me flowers, John. It's, it's appreciated because I'm not expecting it. Yeah, because because that means I was thinking of you, right? Yeah, outside you, of obligation, no I was just thinking about you. There was yeah. no expectation. Yeah, it's not like your birthday or something like that, you know. Right. Just randomly thinking about you. I'm, right. I'm so gonna have flowers delivered when I'm traveling. Just you know, I'm thinking of you. <laughs> <laughs> send me a, te- a telegram. Singing telegram. telegram. Yeah. <laughs> Don't send a naked one again. I didn't. I didn't appreciate that one. <laughs> what? I thought he had the right kind of build for you. No. You don't know my taste, even though you think you do. <laughs> well, we got to do the Benioff thing. Okay. Well, let's do that, and we'll wrap up. All right. So, really quick, this is just uh, Mark Benioff. He was on stage at New York Times conference, I guess. I don't know what else it's called. Yeah, it was New York Times something. I can't remember what they named it, though. Yeah, Yeah. so this is just, they had this huge kind of running panel or summit of just technology people streaming in and out, and Benioff was one of them. So I think he got like 15, 20 minutes to speak, but I clipped out a few things. Technology is never good or bad. It's what we do with technology. It's exactly what, you know, she just gave a fantastic presentation, and I think the way that she ended it is really critical, which is that we have to be involved. And I think when we abstract ourselves, that's when we get into trouble. You can see that with Facebook, actually, where you know the, the way they do the, uh, promoting and, and sorting and focusing of stories, they had a team of a, 100 curators that they removed and put an algorithm in its place. And then that kind of started. Yeah. Okay, so, so they, they had manual human curators, which obviously doesn't scale, especially to Facebook's level and they replaced it with the artificial intelligence. Well, it wasn't just the scaling part, it was also the bias that they were trying to counteract because there were there was there was a lot of talk during that time about curators, you know, either selectively with bias allowing yeah. or disallowing content. And so they wanted to get away from that as well. Yeah, Facebook employees, I'm sure they're just right down the road, middle of the road politically, right? 
Um, I think they're. <laughs> That's that was tongue in cheek. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. But anyway, but anyway, no, he's saying, and, and they replaced them with um, machine now learning with a machine learning algorithm. Yeah. What? That's right. Basically, uh, with Einstein. Maybe with they use Einstein. Maybe that should be perfect, right? What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong with machine learning and artificial intelligence, John? I well, let's I, find out. Let's find out. You know, the downward slide that they're in today in regards to trust. Uh, wait a minute. You tell me that if you implement artificial intelligence, <laughs> you will, you're looking at a downward slide? What? Trust. And, um, you know, you, we cannot rely just on the technology. We have to be involved. And it's going to be through a strong hand and through strong CEOs and, of course, other executives uh, and key stakeholders mm -hmm. in these organizations to help guide this technology. He cannot say CEO. I mean, there's the words I can't say either. CEOs. So, he keeps CEO, CEOs. CEO. Yeah. It's just like CEO. A certificate I, of occupancy. I'm not, I'm not a, I don't think I'm a fan of Big Brother Benioff. The, the strong hand. I mean, what a choice of words. Well. The strong hand. I mean, it's, he's, a, he's a typical business guy. When it suits him, he's very, very ready to have government come in and solve his problems. Well, I don't, I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is about him government coming in to solve his problems. I just, I, it's just an odd argument for someone who's kind of been all about. Yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah. know where I'm going with that, but it, it's, it's just odd to hear him use those words. It, it seems I mean, anti-Benioff to use those words. I don't words. even think it's really, well, politically, it's, I don't think it's very hypocritical because he, he's a left of center type of guy. And so it's not like, it's not like it's surprising to hear him going to government to try to do this. Um, he's basically just arguing for regulation. Hmm. Not a surprise. Where it is kind of hypocritical is is when you dig into how Salesforce is in bed with all these companies, and they're they're part of that machine. Now, that doesn't mean that they that doesn't necessarily mean that that Benioff is for the things that he's arguing against here. But it is weird how this came out of nowhere all of a sudden. It's like that's that's the weird part, and, and we'll we may never find out why, but something something happened. We'll, we'll probably yeah. never know. All right, next one. Yeah. So, um, so uh, let's go back to Facebook for a so, second. Mm -hmm. You raised some hackles at Davos um, by coming out, probably a bit rare for a tech CEO in favor of greater regulation. Well, I think it, I'm trying to protect our industry. You know, that we, if companies aren't able to regulate themselves, they should have external regulation. Companies. So across the board, companies, is that what he said? Companies are not able to regulate themselves. And that, that's this is this is kind of where I'm 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 torn. I'm, I don't I don't like this kind of Big Brother video side of him. Well, yeah, and I mean I don't know. I, I think practically speaking, I mean you have to have you have to have some regulation. I'm not sure. I probably you know I'm probably not for as much regulation as he is. But well, I mean I, I'm 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 for regulation in the terms of just kind of leveling the playing field, make sure that there's people aren't kind of creating this kind of unfair right system. Right. Yep. Where where it maximizes a certain set of individuals. Um, but I'm not for a strong-handed regulation where there's so much bureaucracy and red tape you can't you can't get anything done, and nor can you participate in that industry unless you're a big boy who can who has the money to throw around for all that regulation yeah. to meet that yeah. red tape. Right, and I, you know, and you have to protect anytime there's like a tragedy of the common situation. You know, mm -hmm. basically the government has to come in and say, nope, you cannot. You know, you can't dump your chemicals in that pond. You can't, right. whatever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's more on this one. And I think. Do you that think we're at that point? We're, I think, getting very close to that point. I, I, I think that we have crossed several different lines, and different companies have crossed several different lines, where it's like, wow, why are you not? 
in touch with that issue? Well, why is it that somebody external to your organization has to surface that back to you and then you don't act on it or you deny it? I, I think that's a very serious situation. And uh, companies today have to take these issues seriously. Otherwise, exactly what you've heard this morning is going to happen, which is the technology is going to go in a direction that we don't want it to go. That is why we have to be uh, involved. I've honestly completely lost what he's even talking about. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the only reason I left this part in there is because I did not understand what he was trying to say. I was hoping maybe you would hear it and go, oh, I know what he's talking about there, but I have no idea well, what where was he, he originally was going at Davos, what was he originally saying the problem specifically was? Um, he was just talking. So, was it like, was it fake news? Was it inappropriate content? I mean, what is. I think he was trying to be general. By the way, all these, was, all, all these things that people it. are complaining about, like inappropriate stuff, uh, political fake news stuff. Those are all. Those are all through the ad system, the Facebook ad system, mm. which sells for it. That's the, and that's the part that sells for it directly ties into. I mean, they facilitate Facebook ads, and also the they have a what's it called the the messenger. Uh, there's some like plug-in system, and Salesforce has got you know they <clears throat> they can yeah, somehow or another like you, know, you can sell you can Salesforce helps companies sell crap through Messenger or something. I don't know. Mm. Well, I think in general, Benioff uh, is kind of seeing social media and the practices behind trying to keep people engaged, the addictive nature. And the next clip kind of talks a little bit about that. You know, I think that's where he's coming from in terms of, from his perspective. I, I don't think he's being very specific about like, he's trying to solve this for fake news or anything. I think he's just talking about the tech in general and some of their practices. I, I just, yeah. What practices? That's what I'm, okay. We'll play the next clip and we'll, we'll see if he kid, can, can enlighten us. Um, there were these bubblegum cigarettes. Candy cigarettes. Do you remember yeah. those? Oh, yes. And then we Take blew out. Does yeah. everybody remember those? Yeah, we all and remember And you blew them. out the uh, uh, powdered fun. sugar. Yeah. I think you still get them. And it had the logo of the cigarette company on the package. Remember that? That's because you wanted to look like you were smoking the real thing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think they were trying to do? I never grew up to smoke. That didn't make me smoke. No, it didn't make me smoke. To get us to do. You know? They're not, it was not morons. So this is the same thing where they're building products for kids that then segue into their other products. So he's, okay, so he's comparing <clears throat> selling, can, you know, cancer to kids, to what Facebook's doing. I think what he was trying to draw the correlation, I think there was a jump cut in there. <clears throat> I might have accidentally cut something through because I was, I was getting really bored and I was jumping around. So mm -hmm. that might have been a jump cut. So hopefully that I didn't take that last part out of context, but. Well, there's still, it's like half to go still. Um. Yeah, well, let's see what he has to say. Then and they're focused on the addictive nature of these user interfaces. They're focused on... Um, Which to me is well within their right. And I'll be damned if they regulate against that. That's, of course, everyone wants to... I mean, again, that goes back to like Salesforce is sticky, which is the business. I mean, that's just, that's addictive to businesses. But that's, just, that's what, that's the goal. That's any business's goal, Right. Well, yeah, I mean, to, I mean, to, TV channels or programs, anything they want to, they want everything to, to, they want to keep you coming back. Yeah. How is that against the law now? I don't know. And that, that's, he wants that to be I'm against really the law. confused by, by that you know, line. Just basically because, uh, maximizing their advertising revenue. Yes. At some yeah. point we have to say, okay, hold on. What, what, what is our industry all about? You know, selling people to advertisers <laughs> is what it's about. You're in that business, Mark. Yeah. You facilitate that business. You should know. Don't pretend like you don't. Is technology going to help our society become better? Is that probably what not about improving the world? Is does the modern CRM with AI and journeys? Does that is that actually making my life any better? 
now that you know there's a ten thousand companies that know more about me than half my family. Some does. people are arguing is that, that better, targeted, is that a better life. Some people are arguing that targeted uh, advertising is much better overall for everyone. Oh, I'm sure he would argue that, and all, but while at the same time saying it's bad if Facebook does it. I find it creepy. But... The world, because if it is, then let's see those values emerge out of those companies. Otherwise, then uh, let's regulate them and say no. You just can't do whatever you want. But what is it that you can't do? He's not saying what is it that you can't do. Or is it only allowed to be somewhat addictive? A little bit, of, like Facebook. Mm-hmm. The, you need to make your interface just a little bit uglier because it's a little. It's just too addictive right now. So make it a little bit uglier. I want you to make that thing slower. Make it load slower. Show the loading icon longer. But mm-hmm. what does he want? What is he? He's not saying what it is he's actually suggesting. Or maybe he's written it up somewhere and I haven't seen it. No, I mean the whole thing is is really confusing. Something's that, going on. I mean, I, and I feel like he's. He's coming at it from the perspective of an outsider, even though he's very much part of the industry, part of the oh, tech that's, industry, that's part it. of the advertising industry, part of this, part of the. Don't look the over whole, here. The whole journey of getting you to come <laughs> back, and you know, if you haven't come back in a while, why not come back again? Yeah. Let's take another look. You know, his tools do this stuff. Yeah. So whenever he's out here talking like he's an outsider, it's really confusing, and I really have no idea. Or when Microsoft where this is going, when Microsoft did what Salesforce wanted to do and buy LinkedIn, he's like. Hey, stop them from doing that because we wanted to do that. But since we can't do that, I don't want them to do it either. Uh, it's just yeah. it's just odd. I mean, normally he's much more on point with his arguments, much more on point with his analogies. This one, this one he's been struggling with, and I'm not sure where he's going with it. I feel like he the same thing with the LinkedIn thing. I think he struggled with that. I don't know. Th- th- this this going to the government is not a good look for him. I don't think. Although, although I wouldn't. I think Benioff can get. He can build a like a coalition if oh, he I'm wants sure to. He if he wants yeah. to, there was already um, somebody came out. One of the big, one of the big. Uh, I think it was Unilever CEO, mm-hmm. big advertiser, CPG company, uh, and and gave some statement about how Facebook and these guys need to clean need to clean it up, or they are going to not be advertising on social networks anymore. That actually r- r- rocked the whole stock market uh, a couple of days ago. But what does that even mean? What and does I guarantee mean? you. That he and Benioff have talked about this. Because again, these things don't happen in a vacuum. This has come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, we're getting these CEOs who are battling against gigantic tech companies that actually make money because of, because why? Why would, you know, that, that's, that's what you have to ask yourself is why. I don't know. It just, it just seems odd. It seems like a backdoor of regulation. I mean, especially since when it comes to social media, the content is produced by us, the people and that they're using what, it. What is the most addictive website probably on the entire web? I don't know, Google. Yep. And <laughs> what, do you, what company are you not hearing Benioff mention at all? I don't think people see them as social media. I didn't say they were social media, but they're still, I don't know, they're still addictive, right? Well, yeah, and there are plenty of companies, including Microsoft, that would say that they have a bit of a monopoly on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, and you know, Benioff. One of the, the the other point he's been making is about trust. You know, we these we are putting too much trust in these companies. Well, how can you not include Google in that conversation? Yeah, Google, yeah. Amazon, everyone else. I mean, they they have all our data. They have all our eyeballs. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're we're there's there's some angle here. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. He's been he's being coy and vague with his with the details right now. But it'll be interesting to see how this un- unfolds. Well, I'm ready for some details because I am so confused right now yeah. by all this. I have no idea what to think. I have no idea. He, he's priming the pump. He's he's warming us up. Yeah. He's he's planting these seeds, these these uh, NLP seeds 
to mm-hmm. get us thinking about how bad Facebook is and oh yeah, Facebook bad. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, they're addictive. Oh man, oh we we gotta do something about that. Yeah, what is it? What are we gonna do? Okay, then and he'll tell us what, what it is, and they'll be like, yeah, but that's it. Get them. I don't know. String them up. We don't know what the problem is. How do we know the, what the right way? Yeah, to it doesn't solve it matter. Is. Just solve it with something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, the mystery will continue. Uh, yeah. may, maybe he'll do his big unveil of what he's really trying to say at Dreamforce. Who knows? Um, but for now, we're still left in the dark. And maybe he'll show up at Trailhead the, this year. He didn't last year. Probably not. I mean, he's, you know, can Benioff be asked to show up for 30,000 people? That's such a drop in the bucket, you know? <laughs> 30,000, eh. No big deal. That's actually a comfortable... That's why I liked... One thing I liked about Trailhead last year, that's one comfortable... Uh, that's, that's a comfortable size of a conference for San Francisco. Hmm. it's much more doable. It's way more enjoyable. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've been to Dreamforce when it was smaller, so maybe this will feel like the Dreamforce is of old. Yeah. So. All right, John. We done? We're we done. Thing? Okay, cool. Well, yeah, just your, just your uh, travel plans if you're going to Trailhead. Leave us reviews, comments. Um, send us uh, your questions, stuff to talk about. Info at gooddayserpodcast.com. Give us all the love, the like, the hearts, the stars. Yeah, help me out. I'm busy. I could use some content if you guys got any. Because we sure as hell don't. <laughs> All right, Life man. gets busy sometimes. Yeah, sure does. Well, happy Valentine's Day, Jeremy. Same to you, John. God. <laughs> Let me catch that. Put it in my pocket for later. <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.